My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Postcred Pod. Pretty excited for this episode. As anybody who regularly listens to us knows that we love the Diz Insider guys. We do a lot of kind of collaborations with them. Today, we will be doing our Marvel Cinematic Universe draft. Us, Postcred Pod versus the Diz Insider guys. I'm pretty pumped, Eric. Yeah, did we win the last one? Uh, what was the oh, last actually, one no. We got fucking demolished. It was a Pixar draft. Oh yeah. And then, but then somehow it got taken over by bots, which is like the weirdest fucking thing ever. Like, I guess they've got hardcore loyal fans in like China or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, even before the bots flooded it, um, we got smoked. And I also think. Yeah, but I just disagree with the general reaction. I just, I genuinely in my bones think we had a better team. And then, um, and then you guys, you and Skylar did a Star Wars draft before that. And I believe you won that one though. No, no. I think, I think Skylar beat me, but I also think like he took Mando first pick. I had Empire Strikes Back and one other Star Wars. Yeah, he went Mando. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. He went Mando, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And then still beat you? Yeah, which I, I personally, I think if you That's have two insane. of the three of the original trilogy, including Epi- uh, Empire Strikes Back, which is the best of the entire franchise, it's just, you should win. I, I don't really know wow. what the what the So we got to redeem ourselves here. We have, we have got to, maybe we should stop giving them first pick. <laughs> I mean, we are, we are gracious hosts in that regard. Well, speak for yourself, <laughs> kid. I'm trying to win. It's a doggy dog world out here. Maybe, right, before- maybe this time we'll flip a coin at least. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. I think that's fair. Prior to the tra- draft, though, we've got news. We've got quick hitters. We want to talk quickly about the new Eternals trailer. Trailer. We want to talk about the last couple of What If episodes. And if you missed it, we threw up an emergency pod last night, Monday night, for the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. So check that Was out. Was that too. Monday? Jesus. Yeah, Monday night. Long fucking hell. <clears throat> well, yo, uh, we both put out the tweet. That trailer broke the record for most... Yep. views in a 24-hour time span with i believe 355 million i'm pulling it up right now yeah, yeah 355.5 million views in 24 hours beating out the trailer for avengers endgame by a pretty substantial margin uh endgame had 289 million so that's close to 70 million views more i mean the marketing behind the fan generated marketing of this film, I think it's unlike anything I've ever seen really like Sony and Marvel haven't really had to do anything until this point. I mean, every single Twitter user has been like, get me the trailer for Spider-Man. And that's why I, and that's why I stay kind of woke on the whole leak thing, because it's like, it was like having a warm up band before the main act goes on. You know what I mean? It got, it got people excited and in the mood and ready to party. And then once it came out HD and you were really able to soak it in, they got they got two day they got two different sessions of discussion and hype for the price of one. Absolutely. And they didn't want a leak because no studio does, but there is they no will. doubt that it they helped. Will. <laughs> There's no doubt it helped push some added incentive and interest to the whole thing. Here's here's why I say stay woke, just real quick. Uh because for the person whose name is on that. For him to like risk a multi-million dollar lawsuit just seems so <laughs> far-fetched to me. I don't think that that's what happened, but I'm just saying, always stay woke. 
always, man. Hits bong theory. That's what we do. Right, exactly. By. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's move into the news just to start off the embargo. There's a lot here because it's like yeah. a week full of fucking news. And because we're, we're in the midst of CinemaCon as well, which we will talk about in a second. But the embargo today lifted for Candyman. Can check out my review at Observer. Eric, did you write about it? Can't, I didn't see. I've got the screener in the bag. Uh, I've got to watch it tonight. Uh, I've heard great things. I mean, I was hyped regardless, but now that I've heard great things, I'm more hyped. Floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to overdo it, but basically my review said it's one of the best movies of the year, which I absolutely think it is. I'm not a horror fan. Haven't seen the original uh, Candyman films. Not, I've always really thought the slasher genre was just static and boring. This is nuanced. It, it's got extreme depth. It's got, it, I love it because it tells a story about societal divides, but it does it on this huge canvas with this genre scope and this pre-established brand. And I think it's a great reminder to Hollywood that just because you're making a legacy sequel or using something that audiences are familiar with or making what is a mainstream genre film doesn't mean you still can't be smart. And Mia DaCosta, the filmmaker, knocks it out of the park. And it's particularly good for Marvel because they tapped her to do the Marvel, right. the Captain took, Marvel you, sequel in 2022. You took the words straight from my mouth. I was going to say, you know who's loving this? Marvel. Because, and Captain Marvel, the film, could be legitimately criticized. There are those out there who criticize it for the wrong reasons but there are legitimate problems with that film i don't think Fair anybody right. objectively you know people like you and me who don't sort of feed into that Toxic uh, bullshit. sexist sort of narrative but genuinely i don't think anybody thinks of it of like something besides a bottom five mcu film so the combination of and i love brie larson i think she's great so really I think talented the, actress i think the combination of having it be the Marvels where you're getting the sense that it's going to be a few of them. And then now this, now Nia DaCosta, as you put it, sir, is a star. So that buys them a sort of, not on the same scale, but a familiar Chloe Zhao-esque hype, where it's like people were mainly excited, myself, not mainly, but one of the major reasons people are hyped as fuck for Eternals is because they know it's a Chloe Zhao film. That could very well be the same case here. And for anyone just curious, I highly also recommend checking out Little Woods, which was Nia DaCosta's feature directorial debut. It's this tiny little neo-Western with Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Just a really good movie, really good filmmaker. Excited for what she does with the Marvels. All right, CinemaCon. It's going on right now. I was supposed to go. I pulled out last minute because of Delta. Wasn't wasn't about to fuck with that and try to no get COVID the second time. No way, you were supposed time. to go? Yeah, I was going to go. I was accepted and everything and... But I pulled out because I'm not trying Shit, to. Shit, I gotta. I need to apply next year because it sounds like yeah, a good fucking in, time. It's in Vegas too, so. Oh, we'll great. Have, we'll have some fun. Great, yeah, but, go go on a work trip and come back poor. Fantastic. <laughs> but they showed trailers for the Matrix Four, which is officially titled Matrix: The Matrix Resurrections, which we've known for a, some time. And a sizzle reel for Matt Reeves as the Batman. So while they didn't release it to the public, we do have descriptions. Eric, how about I read the Matrix Resurrections and you read the Batman because okay. we know okay. we know where your loyalties lie. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so a bearded and long-haired Neo who doesn't remember who he is or his past lives finds himself going to therapy and taking two blue pills a day. Neo tells his therapist, played by Neil Patrick Harris, that he's having dreams that don't feel like dreams wondering if that makes him crazy. Neo then crosses paths with Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss, at a San, Fr San Francisco coffee shop. And although though, though the pair don't recognize each other, Trinity does ask if they've met before. So you know there's an echo of memory there. 
The trailer wraps up with Neo being approached by Yaya Abdul-Mateen II's character, who appears to be a young Morpheus, as has been rumored for some time. History repeats itself as the mystery man offers Neo a red pill and the chance to discover the truth, telling him it's time to fly. Neo takes the red pill, but don't do drugs, kids, and steps well, through a mirror. Don't, <laughs> don't accept pills that yes. you don't know what they are from complete strangers. Let, let's put better. it that way. That's yeah. Neo takes the red pill and steps through a mirror into the Matrix, ending up in a dojo with Abdul Mateen's young Morpheus character, just like he did in the original. Young Morpheus says, the only thing that matters to you is still here. You'll never give up before the pair start to spar, with Neo tapping into his superhero-esque, you know, jujitsu kung fu powers. Uh, from there, the trailer reportedly unleashed its action, teasing the unique set piece style that fans of the franchise have come to know and love, with some bullet time uh, trickery and just, you know, typical Wachowski action flavor and flair. So from everything I read, everything I've read about it and, and the people who were on the ground who saw it, Sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, I was just going to say right that, up my alley. that I think I think more so key than the description, like, you know, words are, are one thing, but the tone of the people who actually saw it was overwhelmingly positive. And I think that this was going to be a success regardless, at least one would like to hope. But if you look at the Wachowski's track record since Matrix 2 as directors, you've got Matrix 3, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, which I actually like. I know that. Well, I mean, a lot of people like Speed Racer now, too. I'm not one of them, but that's become something of a cult classic. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then, of course, Jupiter Ascending, which yikes. And then the Netflix <laughs> series Sense 8. So, and I've long said that the only reason that this film is getting made is not because she finally had a good idea. It's because Keanu is a fucking star again. That's And I, I don't care what you say. That is the only reason it's going down. So for the initial reaction to be like, yo, the Matrix is doing it again. They're doing it again. <laughs> that's pretty fucking exciting. What I don't get, though, especially, and I would imagine that you would have to plan things like this in advance, but seeing the reaction to the No Way Home trailer, why wouldn't WB follow the same strategy and drop it online at the same time? I'm, I'm sure they will soon, but the reason they didn't they didn't do it is because they don't want them cannibalizing one another, both in terms of social chatter and views. That that's like a common. But I would argue practice. that if they drop it on a random Tuesday, right? Like let's say they drop it on September 4th. Okay. Just throwing out a random date. There will not be a matrix conversation going on at that time. There's a matrix conversation going on right now. People are talking about it. So I think that while I see your point, they don't want to cannibalize each other. There's something to be said about the fact that people are talking about it right now and they haven't even seen the fucking trailer. So if they were to end the week by dropping it, I think it's sort of a strike while the iron is hot type thing. I think they will drop it soon. And I think they probably also want to attach it to Dune or one of their other kind of flashy upcoming releases so it can get extra play both in theaters think, and on I HBO think, Max. Uh, I think Warner Bros. next film is James Wan's Malignant, which I think is a September 3rd release. And then um, uh, Many Saints of Newark, which is October 1st. So they definitely want to, I think, get double play from something. I'm sure they'll attach a bunch of new trailers to, to Dune, particularly as it rolls out in festivals and everything. But I, you know what I'm curious from a content standpoint, we live in a post dial up world. This is now the digital age. So how does the matrix adapt, adapt and massage that into its own technology? And how does the matrix become relevant again 
from a thematic standpoint, now that the mind-blowing woe-ness of it all well, but has you become don't think all that. that. But, but, no, but, I'm not questioning it. I'm excited for those answers. Right, because I would argue that when we talked about mindfuck films, we, we talked about how The Matrix instilled an idea that's now generally like widely accepted. People think scientists, scientists are now talking about is our world. When I interviewed a, a neuroscientist for Westworld season two, he said, um, there is, that's a popular theory that we all talk, we get drunk and we talk about it, and they have reached the scientific neuroscience community that if reality was a simulation, they would not be able to prove that, which means we very well could be living in a fucking simulation. Yeah, that, right doesn't, that, that doesn't shock me at all. I never considered proving it to even be on the table. <laughs> well, the, the Matrix proved it. Well, that's why that's a film and this is our shitty fake real lives. <laughs> I can't believe in our fake real life, we still get to get paid fake real money to talk about fake real movies. True. Uh, <laughs> so long, long story short, I'm excited for The Matrix. I expect the trailer to drop soon, maybe even the end of this week, maybe with uh, attached to one of their upcoming releases. And I think there's a lot of interesting ground for them to cover as they remix it to fit the contemporary climate and not just that y2k vibe you know what i mean yeah yeah and i'm also curious to see if it modernizes itself in the sense of is there going to be a post-credit scene is it going to tease itself to a new film is there going to be a spin-off show so is there going to be a yaya prequel you or know? right or is genuinely going to be like a blade runner 2049-esque we're just making this sequel because it sounds fucking dope which great awesome but they, but they wanted a franchise out of the out of 2049 Really? They wanted to keep going with that? Yeah, yeah, they did. It just bombed. Wow. What What could have been? I feel oh, like right. we talk about this once a week at this point. <laughs> yeah, but I think listeners of this show probably feel similar, at least from the, the Twitter, Twitter interactions from Postgred Pod listeners that I've had. Right. So you know what? Suck it up, guys. <laughs> or, or support us. So put a stamp on it, Brandon. When, if you had to just, you know, take a true and true in, guess. In the next when? 14 days. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. What about you? I guess I'd say this. I guess I, if it doesn't happen in in the next week, then I don't know when they're going to, then I would assume that it will be attached to their next film. Makes sense. All right. You want to hit us with the Batman sizzle reel description? Now, to be fair, the Batman was not a trailer. It was like a featurette. Yeah. So uh, the featurette followed by the DC fandom trailer that they released last year opens with what looks like chaos with Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne walking through the streets of Gotham. From there, he rises. And I don't really understand what that means, whether it's like a Zack Snyder-esque weird floating through the sky or like a Batman genuinely like shooting up his grapple and like flying away type vibe. Uh, But from there, we hear the voice of director Matt Reeves, who promises an emotional Batman film that we've never seen. He said it's going to be radically different from any Batman film that's put out while also confirming how much it's inspired by year one and year two. Quote, I felt that we've seen a lot of origin stories. It seems things go further and further into fantasy. And I thought, well, one place we haven't been is grounding it in the way that year one does to come right into a young Batman, not being an origin tale, but referring to his origins and shaking him to his core. You can have it be very practical, but I also thought it could be the most emotional Batman movie ever made. Robert Pattinson also describes like Batman's action and violence to be very rage driven, which I also think is cool. It sounds like this is going to be an art house-esque Batman film, which 
in and of itself is an interesting. It's almost oxymoronical, but it makes sense given his comments and what we've already seen from it. Yeah. And I would argue that Batman is inherently a noir character, which lent, which lends itself to an art house film. I mean, but then again, he's also one of the most popular figures of all time. So I could see, God forbid, this being an A24 type thing where it's got like a 91% critic score and like a 69% user <laughs> score. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we're... I think it'll be more commercial than that. I, I think Matt Reeves understands the line. You know, he did yeah. do the, well, the last I, And that's sort of, of my, my point here. He's seeming like he wants to push that boundary as far as he can. Which is great. That's fantastic. Um, I think that the idea of putting it in in between year one and year two is brilliant because yep. everybody knows how Batman started. We don't need to. Re- everybody knows. I know oh, you hate that. Please don't. Yeah, I was on a run, and you've got to ruin it like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I don't remember what the fuck I was talking about. Um, uh, no, seriously, what was I talking about? Oh. So everyone knows how his story started, but I think having him essentially be like compared to be a cop, right? We've seen Batman films where he's in like the police school. This is going to be like his rookie year on the job. And that when you're trigger happy, when you're nervous, when you're scared is a fascinating concoction. Add that on top of the, the villains that we're seeing, we're getting the Riddler for the first time since 1994. We're getting a Colin Farrell, penguin which looks like he's going to be an absolute scene stealer we're getting catwoman we're potentially getting a court of owls type vibe i am it goes i am as thrilled for this film as any film i've ever been (laughs) excited for everything he said this week is promising i do think that they owe us a new look it's been a full year at this point it's scheduled to come out seven to eight months from now so we're knocking on the doorstep i could see that being attached to Dune 100% because then we're at that sort of six month mark. So I'd keep an eye out for a Batman trailer before Halloween. Other than that, get hyped and keep your fingers crossed that they don't have to push it back. Oh God, please, please don't even put that juju. Because technically it was supposed to, it's original release date was, you know, June, right? June 25th, 2021. So that was a tough day in my household. (laughs) <laughs> and then it was moved to and then it was moved to October of this year, which again, and then it got bumped back again, March 4th, spin zone. My birthday is March 5th. So and my birthday is March 12th. So you and, and I can celebrate. Warner Bros. I'm warning you now. I am coming for that ass when it comes to Batman Press. All right. I'm <laughs> I am going to I am going to be so far up your ass, you're not gonna know where you end and I start. <laughs> I think I'm most excited for this to be a blockbuster psychological character study. That element is really interesting to me. He really wants to dive in to the Batman psyche. I think that's something Batman Begins did really well. And then the rest of Christopher Nolan's trilogy, which you and I love, more or less belong to the villains. The antagonists were probably the most compelling characters and I think, and I the think Michael but Keaton- Nolan, I, I even think for as grounded as they were, the Batman feels like it's going to have a more art house noir quality to it, which is really saying something. Yeah, because you're already talking about, you know, Nolan, one of the finest blockbuster populist Who defined like gritty origin story. This is almost going to be less originy and grittier which is just like... <laughs> 
So, so I'm really excited for Bruce Wayne to once again take center stage as a character with depth and conflicting issues that kind of set him on a path, but also show us where he needs to be better. I'm really interested in that element, even more so than I am for all the villains that are in this, though. I mean, you know, oh God, what's his name? Oh, the guy who's playing um, Riddler. Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano. I can't believe it. Freaking nature, fart. that guy. Great yeah, actor. Every, I like him in everything is. Colin Farrell's really good, particularly when he goes weird. I mean, Zoe Kravitz is great. Jeffrey Wright is great. He's, he's assembled all of these parts, and yet I still think the sum will be even greater than, than the collection of, of these parts because it is really just a top-to-bottom talented cast and crew with a unique angle. So I'm really excited for the Batman. All right, let's move on to our Hold quick on. hitters. One more thing, pal. I think a fascinating aspect of it is how it's going to be, how it's going to affect Robert Pattinson's career. People like us, movie fans, are all in at this point. But shout-out to my boss, Cass. He still remembers him as the Twilight guy and fucking hates it for him. And I know that Cass does this, holds this grudge in the same sense that I do with Leto. Like, it's kind of a joke at this point. But there's a legitimate widespread, I would imagine that he's not the only one that feels that way. So this is either going to be a movie that turns, that is going to get people back on board and be like, oh, he's a star. And then ipso facto, Hollywood is going to start to bank on him even more. Because Tenet didn't really go all that well, you know? So you can't really judge him on that one. If he crushes this role, his career is going to blow up. I also picture Matt Reeves having to reel him in a bit, like him being too weird. So I'm fascinated to see what kind of, because there's no doubt he'll be good, but how weird is how weird will he be? And how will that translate to his widespread pop popularity? Yeah, because his brand right now is in a unique position. He is mainstream, the Twilight guy, and then spent the next decade doing art house films that not a lot of people saw, but he turned in unbelievably great work that hardcore movie fans appreciate. So Tenet and this as a one-two punch, assuming this goes well, it's a, it's a big kind of reversal of that public persona to a certain degree. Yeah. All right, quick hitters, Eric. MGM confirms that No Time to Die will maintain its October 8th re release date. I, I don't think it's going to threaten the billion dollar mark as we had all hoped, but I'm so excited that it's sticking to it. And it's like, just enough with these delays. We're coming. Yeah. Yep. Fuck. Yeah. Venom let there be carnage after an earlier report this week will reportedly maintain its current October 15th release date. Again, earlier this week, it did sound as if it might move to 2022 as of right now, it doesn't look to be the case. Uh, Black Canary HBO max movie is in development. I think that's really cool. Janae Smollett was great in Birds of Prey. I'm excited to see her get an expanded role. Definitely a character I think that's worthy of a bigger platform. Uh, Dominique Thorne's Riri Williams, aka Ironheart, will debut in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That'll be cool. I'm, I'm excited. Busy movie. They, yeah, very busy movie. But I have a feeling that they're going to address the child thing in the first act, and then the next two acts, will, it'll just be its own film. Yeah, I can easily see that. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, our girl, is starring in a remake of Nosferatu from Robert Eggers. Uh, confession time. I've never seen the original Nosferatu. Which, well, uh, I, I don't blame you. It came out in the year, what, 1922? Yeah, it was a long time ago. But every time I tell that to like, deep cinephiles, they're like, what? I'm like, I'm sorry. I will tell you what, despite how old it is, that's still of him just standing there like, <laughs> yeah, it's scary as hell. <laughs> it's an iconic image. Yeah. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to star in an adaptation of Robert Kirkman's Oblivion song. There's your boy popping up I again. I fucking boy, and this sounds pretty cool. 
I'm worried to the extent, as you've pointed out on the show, seems to be saying yes to a lot right now. Maybe he's trying to buy himself a new beach house. I don't know, but <laughs> this is the type of franchise that I would love to see him in where it he's playing like, like a rugged because this gives him a little bit of room to be his weird self. You know, it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland story. I get a sort of book of Eli minus the godliness aspect to it. So I think it sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, Netflix may be saving manifest post cancellation after the series posted huge viewership in its second run on Netflix. They initially said they weren't going to save it, but because of how unbelievably well it performed compared to expectations, now they're considering putting it back. So have it's you watched the whole, show? It's always on my like homepage. I watched the first episode when it originally came out on broadcast and thought it was awful and never went back. Yeah. I don't think I've watched a cable show since lost. Actually, I lied. America Horror Story season two. And Actually, FX that's is not technically cable, stuff. right? Yeah, it is. Season two, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like, basic uh, cable. Right, right. Are you talking about broadcast? The, right, the big yeah. four network. Yeah. I still watch sitcoms, but I don't. I haven't watched a drama from broadcast. This is us is the only one I keep up with. That's it. Right. right. Uh, Netflix releases got forty three movies, I think, over the next September to December span. A bunch of them are going to actually. Pr- play in theaters too. Some of the the high profile ones, The Guilty, October 1, Army of Thieves, October 29, The Heart of They Fall, November 3rd, Red Notice, November 12th, Don't Look Up, December 12th, 24th. You also got like Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, Tick, Tick, Boom. You got Halle Berry's directorial debut in Bruise, a couple other, you know, high profile ones. So honestly, of this bunch, because I know we all love to make the joke that Netflix releases 100 movies a year, like 95 of which are shit. But of this bunch, this fall winter schedule, there are a handful that have caught my eye that I have higher hopes for than your average Netflix movie. Absolutely. So I'm excited. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Succession are returning in October. Uh, Killer one, two right there to just drop in October. Succession, I've got to get on. Oh my God, you still haven't watched it, dude. You've got, like, you're going to love the show. I know. Season two is amazing. I will do it before, I promise. Okay. A longtime James Bond franchise producer, Barbara Broccoli, shuts down the idea of a spinoff shows at Amazon. Listen, I'll, I'll leave some room some, if in case they ever want to go back on that. But the Broccoli's and Eon Productions have complete final say over the James Bond. So what she says does go. So as of right now, they're like, they're going to make so many James Bond things on Amazon. Well, that's up to her, not Amazon. Right. That's amazing that they have that deal. Yeah, huge. It's like ancient, right? It's got to be. Yeah, because her father was the original producer, I believe. And, you know, it's a generational thing. It honestly might even be her grandfather. I can't remember. All right, wow. So it's been in the Broccoli family for a while. Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright, Liev Schreiber, and Hope Davis have been cast in Wes Anderson's next film, which already included the likes of Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Scarlett Johansson, Adrian Brody, Bill Murray, and Tilda Swinton. Uh, yeah, Wes, Wes Anderson bringing the A-list cast. It doesn't surprise me. It's yep. awesome, but yep. that's what he does. Well, uh, but a few new ones. Tom Hanks yeah, is yeah. new. Margot is new. Scarlett is new. Cranston is new. I think he works with Jeffrey Wright in his newest film, but he's adding some new faces, yeah. to, which is dope. I- I've heard Hanks' role is very small, though. You're hearing things about it already? Yeah. Oh, look at Brandon. I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denis Villeneuve is confident that Dune 2 will happen. Every time this guy opens his mouth to talk about Dune 2, I cringe a little bit. Not because he's doing anything wrong. I just feel like he's jinxing himself because Dune is already a very shaky uphill box office prospect. And if it bombs, there's not going to be a Dune 2. I'd... I'd argue that Dune has a little bit more IP cachet, though. I would argue uh, the opposite. 
Blade Runner is like a niche cult hit. I don't think that so the is average. Dune. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's not. It's not taught in schools. Like it's a it's a beloved sci fi book, but that, that again, very niche. Considered extremely dense, almost undap- unadaptable. Has a failed attempt already on its track record. Right. You know, I, I'm I'm hoping for the best, truly. Yeah. But I I am not expecting it to be a blowout. Hey, you win, know but- what they say about manifesting, Brandon. It's true. Listen, all, all I'll say, and then we can move on. If it makes around $300 million worldwide, even though that would be bad for its budget under normal times, but is well-reviewed by critics and embraced by audiences, like good social chatter, I think guaranteed it's a number two. If it comes un- under under that and is like, you know, mixed reactions, eh, you're going to have a hard time getting Dune too. Right. Oh, God. All right, let's move into the Eternals trailer. The second trailer, which was a little bit more in depth, it gave yeah. us some exposition as to why they haven't been involved with Thanos and any of the other climaxes. It gave us some really, really interesting shots of how each hero uses their unique special powers. And it gave us a little bit of an idea of what their history is, you know, the deviants, the celestials, what they're there for. So, Eric, just to start off, what are your expectations for this movie? Something we've talked about quite a bit, but now we have a little bit more information to go on. I'm actually going to combine a question into this one because they're sort of the same so it's what are your expectations and then slash do you think this film can slash will contend for awards because we've seen an mcu film do it before and we've seen a closed Dow film win it before and i would say that my answer lies in that question i think that eternals has the potential based on what's at play to be a Black Panther-esque critical success in addition to being a smash hit. Do I think that, like, in my heart of hearts, do I think that that will be the case? No. But I think that it certainly has that sort of ceiling. In terms of the film itself, and you've pointed this out a lot, and it's something that Phase 4 seems to be committed to, it's going to be something new, right? And not only is it going to be something new, we're in the terms of, like, Shang-Chi took us to to a new corner of the world, this is taking us to a new point in time. And that is inherently fascinating because outside of not helping Thanos, the idea that it'll just once again, just in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy once did and Loki once did and What If is currently doing, it'll expand the scope of the MCU and the power players. You know, when you think about the Deviants and the Celestials and all that, I mean, there's one shot of a Deviant creating a galaxy i mean sorry a celestial creating a galaxy in its hands i mean that is a not only as a visual but as a concept is i think qualifies as hard sci-fi i mean that is some pretty heady shit combine that with what seems to be a romantic through line of a love triangle between which we know you love of course i mean again romantic sci-fi baby all fucking day um (laughs) Like, I'd argue a film like Blade Runner counts as romance sci-fi. Point being is, combine what I think is going to be a mind-expanding and plot-expanding plot with a romantic love triangle between Gemma Chance, Cersei, Kit Harington's uh, Dane Whitman, and Richard Madden's Icarus. I think the elements are there for it to be an undisputed top five MCU film that could crash its way into the top three. The only thing holding it back from being top one is the fact that it's not named Infinity War or Endgame. 
those are where my expectations currently at because I do still think while like I wasn't necessarily blown away with the action, but I was more blown away with the scope and how much it still seems to be hiding. So I think I'm a big Chloe Zhao fan. You know, I love the writer. I really love Nomadland. I think she's one of the most singular, unique talents they've brought in terms of behind the screen filmmaker, behind the camera filmmakers to the MCU. I'm excited to get her touch on it. I agree it has the potential to be top five. And in our next question, we'll get to what we're excited most about. Do I think it's going to compete for awards? No, probably not. If you're asking me what's the next mainstream superhero blockbuster that's going to cut into that, I actually think the Batman probably is a better shot. Despite it being in March, though? I mean, it would be a different Oscars. No, but usually films that come out in the year that early don't really contend. Yeah, typically, but that's that's not like it is a general rule, but it's not hard. And to be fair, uh, Black Panther came out in February, so there you go. Great point. So I actually do think because I think we've gotten our listen. Chloe Zhao is very singular, and I think this has a chance to be a different type of movie, but it is still going to be a Marvel movie at its core and i think if the academy about how blown away we were by shang chi yeah i I was blown away but i also don't think that's gonna compete for awards i just think if you're talking about the academy and what they're going to be opened up to they'll probably i think for the next blockbuster that's a type of superhero film will want to go the opposite way they did the the rah-rah um marvel now we're doing something a little bit more darker and psychological in the batman that's why i think that has a better chance now having said that that doesn't mean one is going to be better than the other i'm just trying to think of what the academy's track record and propensities usually are Uh, i'm really excited for eternals what am i excited for most i'm excited as i've said on this show a million times to get out of the same 85-year timeline that the entire MCU has been set in. This is going to span 7,000 years. We're going to see a, a background context update of MCU history that is on a cosmic scale. So the Celestials and the Deviants have deep ties to all different corners of the Marvel Universe, uh, Thanos including, so to see such powerful beings that are up there with the time variance authority in terms of their impact on, on multiverses and right, this world. Right, great point. I'm really excited to get that and to go to the deep past, see how they've shaped humanity and shepherded society. Uh, that's, that's what I'm most excited for. We're, we're getting outside of the comfort zone, the familiarity zone. And I think that has the propensity, that, I mean, the potential to open up new storytelling possibilities that have not been tapped in the MCU quite yet and chloe Zhao is a deeply deeply intimate character centric director all of her films usually have one single protagonist so to spread that around to an ensemble cast i'm just really excited yeah i'd say everything i said before you and everything that you just said is sort of where i'm at in terms of what i look forward to most now just quick one what characters slash powers are you most intrigued by slash want to see most i'll go first i think uh Gilgamesh he's like the the strongest one quote unquote I think everyone's seen Gilgamesh that played by who who I don't I think I'm gonna fuck this up is it Don Lee yep Don Lee um yeah fucking dude Brandon fucking pounds that camera bro we're killing it Boom. um <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen that screen grab of his weaponry that he yeah. conjures seems to be in the shape of the infinity gauntlet which I think is really cool and he also strikes me as like the one in the group who takes no bullshit, like <laughs> sort of like when you have your mom and dad, like when dad gets mad, you're in big trouble. He strikes yeah. me as that one. And then also 
Kit Harrington's Dane Whitman because they show a Black Knight-esque character in what looks to be the past. So is he someone who's also been around for a long time? I don't know anything about this character, but the idea of like a knight-based superhero is very cool to me. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to go with two different answers. I'm going to go with one, uh, Druig, played by Barry Keegan. I, I don't Ooh, know if that's how you pronounce shouts it. Shouts to him. I hope he's doing all right. You you, you saw those Yeah, he, he, uh, he, got he was attacked in like a, a robbery, so hope we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, really talented 28-year-old actor, you know, Dunkirk, recently in The Green Knight. He's in, He's now he's here. I, every time he's popped up on screen, I think Deer Hunter he was in, um, or Legend of the Sacred Deer, I can't remember. Something with right. Deer. Uh, the killing of... Yes, thank you. I was like, I think I just said three different movies all in one, but every time I've seen him pop up on screen, I'm like, this guy is dynamic and compelling. Every single time. I really think he's a good actor. I'm excited to see what his character brings because he's the loner of the group and it's still a little bit kind of vague of what he does. I think he he can implant, I think, like illusions or something of that nature. It's so I just very cool. I think visually that'll be fun too. And then I'm going with Fastos, played with played by Brian Tyree Henry. He's the inventor of the group. Not only do I think that's cool because that is cool. He, I bet we could get like an in joke, like, "Oh yeah, Steve Jobs took this idea from me. Like I gave it to him. Like you know, he invented something we use all all the time." I think that's cool. But again, just like Barry Keegan, I think Brian Tyree Henry. Every single time I've seen him on screen is usually the most interesting person on screen. He's a phenomenal actor. I've interviewed him before. He's the cool fucking dude. And I think uh, I think that scene too, where they smash his table because he thinks it's like a you know vibranium table, and it's just not. It's just a regular oh, IKEA. It was also, great. one more quick point about Fastos, first openly gay superhero in the MCU, and black. And I so think that'll be cool. Fuck yeah, good for them. I'm hyped. A lot of cool things going down in Eternals. All right, let's move on to What If episode two and three, and then we will get into our Marvel draft. Uh, Eric, you know I'm I'm gonna kind of cede the floor to you oh, because. No. Uh, well, listen, I, I thought episode three was much better than episode two, which was better than episode two, uh, one. I, I've said that when we initially talked about what if. I think overall episode two and three are, are very enjoyable. But as I said, when we saw the first three screeners, I, I'm just not like enthralled with what if as I am other MCU properties. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to keep watching it regularly, you know, the day it comes out. I just don't have that much more to say at this point. And to your point that you've been repeating, I bet at the end they drop a bomb on us that retroactively makes season one this must-have rewatch with a lot of clues and everything. Right. But right now I'm just like, this is fun. I don't need to deep dive every little detail. So yeah, I have been having a hard time sinking my teeth into it the way that I do most MCU content. But that said, I think, and as we've been saying, as you've pointed out, the third one is a step up because it's not simply a retread of MCU stories we've seen in the past with different characters plugged in. This is an entirely new story, completely new. And it's, and it's legitimately batshit crazy. And I was, (laughs) and I found myself more like, whereas the first two, because you were familiar with the plot, you're not really engaged with the plot. You're just sort of in tune with all the, the little tweaks and changes that they've made. But the reveal at the end of episode three, that spoiler alert, the bad guy is Hank Pym. I was like blown away. I was like, holy shit. Awesome. I, did, I was like, I did not see that coming. Like, this is a fascinating story. Nick it was also Fury, darker, which I liked. Darker, Nick Fury teaming up with Loki, showing that he's still just cunning as hell. Like, they're both cunning as hell, you know what I mean? So, but what I will say is that the No Way Home trailer has made me particularly interested in the Doctor Strange one and the Spider-Man one. Yeah. Because 
as I've been saying, and I put out in a tweet today, it is in Marvel's DNA to include something in every project that not only links it to what's to come next, but keeps the momentum and the conversation moving forward. Now, the Doctor Strange conversation, we spent like a quarter of our No Way Home pod talking about what the fuck is going on with Strange. In the days since, as people have consumed the trailer, people are wondering, has he been taken over by Mephisto? Because the snow in the Sanctum Sanctorum is reminiscent of in Dante's Inferno, I believe. The deepest circle of hell is frozen or something like that. And just his general not give a fuckness. Some people are wondering if it's a variant. So what I'm thinking is in the Uh Doctor Strange, what if it's teased that he faces off against an evil version of himself? What if those two flip flopped and classic clone swap and that and that multiverse of madness is about not Doctor Strange saving someone, Doctor Strange getting saved. That would be really cool. I really like, like it's that. not and him diving into the multiverse to find somebody. It's, it's him escaping it. Exactly. I, I would love that. It would go against everything that's generally been talked about in terms of expectations. It would be a nice little twist where our hero is in peril which is a little bit nicer than them kind of coming to the rescue. And if we're talking about evil doppelgangers, he's already got the fucking goatee. He's already there, you know? Like, yeah. like <laughs> you might as well lean into it and go whole hog. So I will say that while I haven't been locked in quite yet, I think that that time is coming. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for upcoming episodes after hearing that because that is a, a, a left-turn theory that I really think would engage me on a sense of, of wow i really wasn't expecting that and look how it turns in and as we've discussed it it's looking more and more potentially like this is the multiverse unleashed by kang's death and loki or kang's variants right so yeah all right i'm i'm open to being swept off my feet what if you can do it right so while we aren't going to dive into the show the same way we do loki or wanda we will touch on it each week if there's something plot wise worth talking about but beyond yeah. that i'd say you know it's half an hour fun quick get in get out done we'll still tickle your giblets listeners don't oh, worry jesus christ i'm cutting that <laughs> what 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 the fuck is that where did you get that from did you make that up that's even weirder that's a that's a saying tickle your giblets oh my god i'm just saying we're not gonna do the deep dives but we'll we'll tickle their giblets saying from when the year 1953 all right steve uh, rogers it works <laughs> thank you for that one but all right, we are going to hop in with the Diz Insider guys now, our MCU movie draft. Enjoy, folks, and vote for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line and welcome back to post cred pod i'm really excited for our mcu draft right now we got the diz insider boys on the pod welcome you guys thank you for coming on once again skylar thank you for having us yeah i think this is my third time on here yeah thanks and i love coming on yeah thanks for it's really really fun yeah thanks for uh putting up with us yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's our pleasure first of all 
you know, us, us smaller podcasts, we got to stick together. You know? Of course we, we do. And yes, there's strength in numbers. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, Brandon, we milk that episode that you were on on our show. Every every time. Yeah, we're like, if you guys want to listen yeah. to everything inside of like movie, like productions, I was like, you need we, to go listen to this yeah, podcast. We, we always end the show with like, man, still got to get Eric on. I know. We're like, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, we will come on anytime. We've already well, built you guys for multiple episodes. I will yeah. say, Brandon, speak for yourself because I like to maintain the illusion, <laughs> the mystery of who am I? Who is this guy? What does he do? Well, he just pops why, up put a voice Eric, modulator on you. While Eric is playing the reclusive asshole over there, I'm happy <laughs> to come, come on and hang out with you guys. There we yeah. go. Right I'm, just messing. I'm just messing. I'm just we'll messing. Take, we'll, we'll, take the, we'll take the post-credit boys any day yeah well today we are here like we said for the mcu draft now you guys have been here you're veterans of the drafts but for anyone tuning in let me uh pop in brandon i want to make clear that we've done a superhero movies draft before so while there may be some overlap there this is mcu specifically also Diz Insider is two and zero on this podcast and draft uh one's one's a caveat we'll, we'll no, yeah, yeah, we don't know what no 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 no, no. Listen, I appreciate Wind you trying you you trying to be kind, but they're gentlemanly. <laughs> yes, but we were we're, we were not we were not going to win that poll. So Skyler defeated Brandon in a Star Wars draft, and then we did a two on two Pixar draft, which we got absolutely smoked in. So because of that <laughs> fact, today instead of just giving you the first pick like we have, <laughs> since we're fighting for our fucking lives out here, we're gonna we're gonna flip a coin instead this time. Okay, cool. right, let's do it. We like that. And, and for anyone listening in for the first time, here's it, how it's going to go. Each team is going to make five selections from the MCU pool. Now, that encompasses 25 theatrical films because we're counting Black Widow and Shang-Chi, which were released this weekend, and four existing Disney Plus series. Now, for simplicity's sake, the question, the questionable canon, such as the ABC shows, the Netflix shows, the Hulu Marvel series, they're not eligible. We're just talking about MCU proper confirmed <laughs> canon, all right? Now, Agents of Shield is picking off Hellstrom. the table, fellas. Who's picking Hellstrom? Yeah. Take Hellstrom, boys. Dagger. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the runaways. Oh, you got you guys are good for one ridiculous curveball per draft. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're gonna pick so, Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't wait to see the fan response to that. Oh yeah, for but, sure. Each team is going to make one selection, argue on behalf of why it's deserving to be on their roster. The opposing team will then have a brief one minute of rebuttal, if they so choose, before making their own pick. And the goal is to draft the best five project rosters roster of MCU films and shows overall. And the criteria include quality, variety, inventiveness, impact on franchise, impact on superhero genre. So those are some things to keep in mind as we sort through our MCU battlefield. I.e. taking Iron Man 1 through 3 is probably not the right move. Correct. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Take Iron Man 2 out now. So Sign with out. that said, now that we're all clear on the rules, you guys are going to have to choose head to tails and we will get this thing popping. I always pick the same one, heads. Let's do it, heads. Okay, and it is heads. All right. What's All right. Up? Let, go let first? it be. The fates will have it. Skyler, first... will you do will you do the honors? I will. I this love... was like this was a no doubter right here. Yeah. We, we are taking the winter soldier. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I do this now, every time. I love that's you guys. number one on both of our letterbox lists. So let me kind of we're gonna do a quick plug. So we have a show right now, a new podcast called the Disney Catalog. We're actually going through the MCU right now as we speak, going through in order. 
The Winter Soldier is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe film that really grounds this this universe. It really grounds it. Like mm-hmm. you know, the Hulk, you know, is a is a crazy monster. Iron Man, you see a lot of just make believe stuff. This grounds the universe for a lot of a lot of reasons. It's it's a it's a much darker take on the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Uh, it really tells a good espionage story. It's it's got some of the best combat. It's got some of the best comedic dialogue that's not forced in there. Uh, you get some really nice interconnectiveness with uh, past films, not only Captain America, but some of the Iron Man films. Some of the uh, best fight sequences. Yeah, some of the yeah some of the best fight sequences. Uh, and you know, that's combat. in terms of like I feel like in the MCU for the first time, you feel like the punches and kicks they take. You're like that looks like it fucking hurt. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think sure. that yeah, when you say grounded. Shock. Outside of like the idea of like a grounded plot, just in terms of the physicality of it, it felt like it was taking place in our yeah. world for the first yes. time, and that is a very yeah. important feature. You and, and it's so weird. You think of these huge team up movies uh, since this movie, and you think, oh man, that is so iconic. But when you look back at the Winter Soldier, you look at the Captain America, the first Captain America Bucky fight or Winter Soldier fight. You look at the elevator scene. You look at the, the any, truck when he just yeah literally jumps up, both feet kicks him right in the chest. I felt that. Yeah, you know, you look at Robert Redford joining this universe, and you're like, man, how they how are you getting a legend like Robert Redford? And Nick he just Fury's death. Yeah, he just fits. You know, it, there's just so many layers to this movie that make it so special in this cinematic universe that yeah. it deserves to be the. I first mean pick. that Definitely. that uh twenty minute sequence in like the DC streets that starts with like Fury trapped in his car and leads all the way up to that one V one cap versus Bucky. The first time that holds up to this day. The, oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. The MC- Eric, whose side are you on? Man, we're fighting for our <laughs> lives over here. I, 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 I Get on say, the team, bro. I think, I think lastly, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, it's, I it's forgot. Okay. Lastly, I just, I you got do, so enveloped in this yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to appreciate two more things really quick. And then I'll let you guys kind of fight us on this and then, go to your pick, but two things is it, it really shows us that Kevin Feige knows his directors and who to pick. He sees the future and talent, you know, the Russo's coming off community, which is like a hardcore comedy that we all love. And, and you, me and Dupree, like, really you, me and Dupree, the, you, me and Dupree directors are doing winter soldier. <laughs> like what? It's a flex, but, but that just gives credit to Kevin Feige who, who just sees the talent in directors in between the lines. Exactly. And Henry Jackman's score is some of the best. The the oh. score for uh, it's called the Causeway, which is the fight. The score for the fight sequence on the freeway. Well, that's also and the when they winter, battle each other. That's also the Winter Soldier one, where it's that like high yeah. pitch, like yeah. screech. It's it's yep. the same so, yep. It's called the Winter yep. Soldier and the Causeway. So shout out to Henry Jackman if you're listening. We know you're listening. It's post grad <laughs> podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> Damn right. Um, Let's party. And I I just want to add quick to that, and this is something that I really liked about Shang Chi too. The A plot is very grounded, again, that word grounded in emotion. You're emotionally invested in the story of the hero more than you would be in like an Iron Man 2. You know what I mean? Like the the Bucky-Steve dynamic is as, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, like delicate relationship in, in the MCU, particularly up until that point, you know, when it was still relatively small. So great pick. You're not gonna hear a word back from me because I totally. <laughs> All right, well, since I've apparently give it to gone us. 
Yeah, since I've apparently am going one on three since I got <laughs> Benedict Arnold by my own podcast <laughs> partner. Uh, yeah, I love the Winter Soldier. It's a top five MCU feature for me. Definitely was on our radar, but as the first overall pick, given the the criteria and given the importance played to impact on genre and impact on franchise, I am definitely going to raise some question marks as to Winter Soldier being the first overall pick. Now, that is high quality. Again, top five MCU for me. But is it as impactful and is it as groundbreaking and is it as inventive as some of the other MCU features? I don't know. I love the film. I love it. Do I love it as the first overall pick in the draft? Is the LeBron James of our Marvel draft? I don't know, you guys. Eric I, clearly does because no, no, no. no. I think that's a great point. I, I still hold well, it down. Let, let, let me let me bounce this off of you. If events from the Winter Soldier are still carried over to a series called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, is that not impactful as an MCU film? I guess I see the reverberations of Winter Soldier more in Agents of Shield, which is meh, and Ex- which we're not considering here. Than I than I see for Falcon. Except your Soldier. defeat, Brandon. <laughs> I, I think I see Falcon and Winter Soldier more so being an epilogue in some ways to Endgame and the events of that. Film. Yeah, and I'm I'm with B that I like the film in a vacuum, but in terms of the context of an MCU draft, I we would have never, ever taken this first. So with that said, I can see Bra- the lies in your eyes, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, uh, do we I love wanna, you guys? I hate arguing with these do guys. Do we want to go with our original, like, because now we're guaranteed one of the two. So do we want to flip flop and go for, or do we want to go? Uh, you know, I, I think we probably stick to our plan, but ultimately, you are. I think I draft for quality and you draft for strategy. So I'm actually going to put this on in your court because. You are savvier when it comes to the manipulation yeah. of the order. Okay, so with that said, with that said, only because you guys have once again done this to us where you take something outside of the top one or two that we an don't un- expect. Un- unexpected first move. Yeah. So this wasn't our <laughs> original plan, but because of things how because of how things are shaking out with our number one pick, we are taking James Gunn's Guardian of the Galaxy. That's a good God pick. damn it. That's a good pick. We like it. Guardians. That is a good pick. That was our number two. So okay. That's cool. See, Brandon? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Brandon, keep, that's keep, how it works. Keep us on our toes. Yep. So Guardians, to me, is what I imagine the magic of Star Wars felt back then. Like, that is the first time that I was ever like, oh, space opera. I kind of get it now, you know? Like, I think that the – and James Gunn has once again proven that this is his M.O. I would say Guardians of the Galaxy does this slightly better because while Suicide Squad – gets you to emotionally invest in, in these characters individually. I don't know if you're necessarily sold on them as a team family unit, whereas Guardians, not only yeah. does he get you to buy into the, the characters' individual arcs, but he gets you to root for them as a team, culminating in what I think is ultimately one of the MCU's true, outside of a Tony Stark death type, tr- true tearjerker moments, and that comes in the form of the We Are Groot scene. Yep. Not only is it emotionally devastating and also hopeful at the same time, it's gorgeously shot with the way he creates the sort of cocoon and fills it with lights. And I'm zooming in on that one scene because I speak because I think it speaks to the quality to the general quality of the film. And that is it's melding Star Wars uh, grandeur and scope with Indiana Jones with Indiana right with the Indiana Jones-esque vibe of Star-Lord with the sort of 
<clears throat> emotional a plot that I find that the MCU could usually lack. I I I I find myself more in love with the MCU's spectacle than their actual than the the actual things that they make me feel. Guardians to me more than anything else is one of the MCU's emotionally sound films. And I think when you throw all of its technical and comedy feats on top of it, it is perhaps as close as one could get to not only the perfect superhero film, but the perfect summer blockbuster. And, and to echo Eric and expand a little bit too, I, I think it's the funniest MCU movie overall. And I think it took Marvel from quippy rah-rah cheerleader vibe to a franchise with legitimate joke construction, well thought out punch punchlines, character specific humor that is tailored around how these characters are defined and built. Uh, I think Thor really only gave us Asgard and little else, but Guardians of the Galaxy took its role as an off-world Marvel entry really seriously, adding texture to this universe. And in doing so, it also seamlessly fit Thanos into the narrative ahead of his big Avengers plot line. Uh, and by despite James Gunn's revelation that that was at Marvel's request, and yet he, he managed to do it in a way that I would have never guessed that it was an add-on to what he was already thinking. Uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy wore its heart on its sleeve more brazenly than any other MCU feature, feature to that point and was better for it. I think the Marvel Empire is grounded in fun and charismatic characters, and this is the, the epitome of the intimate family story there. And I also want to just tack on that this was, going into the release, considered, what is this, B-Squad Avengers in, in space? Like, no one was yeah. really giving at the time of the day. And it was the biggest overperformer, I think, from a quality standpoint. So that is why we're making it this And quick. one last thing, instantly iconic soundtrack. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. for sure. For sure. Yes. Needle drops for days. Yeah, but yeah. good ones too. So So I'm going to be Eric. You be Brandon. I'm just going <laughs> to milk this right here. Oh, God. So I got to <laughs> play devil's advocate. I love Guardians. And for me being a comic book reader, I had known about it was the original Guardians. You know, it was Yondu. It was, and I forget the rest. <laughs> they're so unknown. It, they're not even. Was, they're not even used now. Well, yeah, but right, right, right. When the movie was gonna come out, I mean, you do have that core team with Star Lord, Groot, Rocket Raccoon, etc. Um, but they like revamped this into a pretty successful comic book right. series while the movie was coming out, and I do think that's why a lot of the hype especially around like comic book readers going, oh my God, I haven't seen, like maybe older comic book readers going, I haven't seen these guys since like the like the 80s. Let's let's catch up on it and kind of tie it into kind of the feel that Guardians is going to give you. Because you're right, Brandon, that nobody was like, who the fuck is the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, <laughs> I remember specifically like, thinking that. Like, what is Marvel doing? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and I didn't it's like. The guy that directed and they went, fuck Slither. you, we're Marvel. You're going to buy our tickets. Yeah. yeah, it's like the guy who directed Slither, he's going to take on a space Star Wars opera adventure Indiana Jones bullshit. Like, how is this going to work? But yeah. I will tell you right now that this is one of the movies that I feel that never skips a beat because you do have some Marvel movies that have this... Just, I don't know if it's like from act one to act two, it could be, you see, I'm being Eric right now because this was our fucking number What is this, two. three versus one? Like, oh, here, let me, let me. I will say face this, this is, was like, this Scott's face was like, dog, you are killing me. But I will tell you right now, and I may go down for this, I was not a fan of the dance battle to save the world. Okay, fair enough. I, 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 that was, I felt that was a little, it took me out of the too story. Too meta? 
My yeah, older brother feels the same way. I have to disagree because I, I like doing something different in that space, but it's one I it's totally a criticism get that, I'm not going to argue because I understand why people feel that way. I, I yeah. really get it. It's so funny because I'm about well, to- Well, this is our most recent episode uh, yeah, of the yeah, Disney catalog I, that just I, came out. I'm <laughs> about to echo, I'm, I'm about to be the Brandon right now and argue because it's us versus you, <laughs> but I'm on Brandon's side with the dance battle because I think, I think it was different. I think it, it was a really like a, a coming of age family thing. Let me attempt to argue such a beautiful movie. Uh, um, I didn't even try. <laughs> it, 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 no, no, you didn't, Derek. Thank you. I appreciate thank, your yeah. contribution. Thank you for your help. Uh, we can all agree that Guardians of the Galaxy has... You, one of your best attributes to a good film is a good villain, and Ronan is not a good villain. Thanos is not the villain of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's Ronan. Sure. They made that very apparent, not only in the marketing and the trailers. Yes, it's expanding on a bigger universe, but we're, we're focused on Guardians of the Galaxy and the mission and the adventures they're focused on now. And Ronan showed no signs of any... Uh, He's he's Can not. Bring up the there's no none. Yeah, there's no stakes. There you don't feel any stakes with this character. Hollow. Um, well, he feels like yeah. yeah. Hollow. There you go. Yeah, thank you. Okay, yes. that's a great word. It, it's there. There's no stakes with Ronan. You know, you have. But don't the you think that's that's sort of the case for MCU films at large? Yeah, but that but, but we could but do that's, this. Uh, yeah, you're, I even I have to argue on behalf of them. That's not an excuse to be shitty, just because it's it's part of the course. Yeah, y'all yeah. are up with your second pick. Should we? Okay, we I'm the one that you. <laughs> SC, do it. We're taking Shang Chi as our number two. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We're taking Shang Chi because. Wow. Granted, we may finally win a draft. Even though I love Shang Chi, <laughs> you're, you realize you just drafted a film that people haven't seen yet. That that was and gonna, we and we have yeah. talked about this before. Yeah, we talked about this way before. When is this way. When is this dropping? This is dropping this week. September 3rd. No, so this podcast is coming out. So by the time this podcast release is, it'll be one week out. Okay, okay. perfect. This make this this is awesome. I so think let us this is like a slow burn for people. If they're really quick well, to judge, I want it yeah. to be a slow burn because well, until let, they see Shang-Chi, they're like, oh fuck, Derek and Skylar had the well, best let, one. Let, well, <laughs> we'll say this. We'll say this. Believe it or not, like a lot, really not believe it or not. The, so the Diz Insider family, when we try and tell people, you know, about Marvel, they, they they really kind of back us up on Marvel and like take our word for granted, like, which is really nice. You know, um, anything we say or any opinions we have on Marvel, they, they, they really see us out, which a lot of people in the Disney universe is not that way or the Disney fandom or Marvel. It's different. This is just a great way to get your listeners excited for Shang-Chi, and we're about to tell you why they should be excited for Shang-Chi yes. well, and why it's be, so high up here. Be careful with what y'all oh, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. no. We've we're already not, talked about it. Yeah, we're not, we're, we won't do that. Of, we will not do that. Uh, yeah, right, the cool. Diz Insider Show. So we're we just going to... They're veterans, man. They're pros. They know the uh, game. Yeah, yeah, we're, Eric, we're Eric, gonna we will go not Overall, we're not going to go into any specifics. So this may be a short kind of like... You go first, and I'll tackle on top of you. Kind of like a... Just a quick reaction. There you go. Um, go for it. So when we're talking about uh, fight scenes, oh my God, that drew me in right away. And not only do you get a, I don't know why we keep bringing this up, but a grounded character like Shang-Chi and his, his you know, overall journey is one of the best character uh, arcs I have seen in a Marvel movie in a long time. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, not only that, the villain is probably one of the top tier Marvel villains uh-huh. because it's kind of like a Loki villain. You love to hate him or you have compassion for him. Or that you makes, hate to love that, him. Yeah, that makes a good villain in, for me. You finish the rest because so, I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't. Yeah, so here, here's what Shang-Chi does really well. It's a great origin story when all these origin go. stories have been kind of eh, like Black Panther was not an origin story. Let's be real. Um, that was not an origin story. Captain Marvel was a really good movie, but it was it wasn't the best origin story. Iron Man was a fantastic or- origin story for the character. This is another fantastic origin story for a new Marvel character. It opens the door for the future in two different routes, which you'll see once the film ends. We're not going to spoil anything. It, like Derek said, to echo what he said, it has a fantastic villain that you love to hate and hate to love. Uh, you know, it opens the door to a more mythical uh, universe yes. within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and you'll notice that in the second and third acts. The hand-to-hand combat is wonderful. It takes much. I think it's top tier. I think that's the best Marvel. Next to Winter Soldier, yeah. I think it it, overtakes Winter Soldier, to be honest. But you see these these inspiration, and you've seen this online. It takes inspiration from, you know, uh, uh, past Jackie Chan films, and those are some of the greatest martial arts films of all time. It really opens up a – it takes care of the Asian culture and and puts the spotlight on their culture. Uh, You can tell Brad Allen took really good care of, you know – the stunts and the choreography. Sadly, he passed away. Rest in peace to him because his work was fantastic and I could have seen him doing something in the future. Um, you see these actors, Dan, uh, uh, is it Daniel Destin Cretton? Who, who'd you what? interview, Eric? Please shout it out. Destin Daniel Cretton. Destin Daniel Cretton. Thank you. Check out the interview, uh, Post Credit Podcast, last week's <laughs> episode. Um, hey. No, it's this week's. No, it's right? coming up next, baby. Yeah. Oh, there, there we go. go. Hey, check it out. Hey, look like hey. on the postcard. Yeah, podcast. on the postcard <laughs> podcast. No, he. So what he does is he's a unique filmmaker in terms of he does these very smaller story-driven pieces, and he really opened up this world to something really beautiful. It's it, visually, it's stunning. Oh my god! The music paired with this, he yep. took actors that probably shouldn't have been good in this movie and made them fantastic. And what I mean is, Ronnie Chang probably shouldn't have been as as good as he was in this small role. He really. Uh, uh, Aquafina, great. I was I was so blown away with yep. Aquafina because steals Aquafina, the show. Yep. Yeah, Aquafina is she's a very in in these other films that I've seen she's very paint by numbers on how she is well, as an she's actress. Like, well, when she's in it, sorry to cut you off, but she is always on as far as like other projects she, she's done. She's yeah. always the first one to like crack jokes or yeah, be like right. the the comic the comedic yeah. relief. But there's a. Uh, but in this movie, you really see her acting chops. Yeah, there's hard drama. Yeah, there, yep. I there's, was blown away by Yeah, there was hard drama. Have you guys seen The Farewell? Oh, The Farewell she's yes. good in. We're, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's neither here nor there. Just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 you're right. You're right. Lulu Wing's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you do see like these very perfect uh, things with Aquafina that you don't really see that much in terms of her acting. Um, this is the best you're ever going to see of Florian Montanu. Um, you know, it, there's just so many visually, like usually you watch a Marvel movie and you go, Oh, the visual effects, it's a little out there. And there's times where yes, it is, but it's fantastic. Like Marvel, Marvel dedicated themselves to really opening up the MCU with a brand new character. And, um, there's not a lot I could imagine arguing with this uh, at all. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that Shang-Chi flirts with my top five MCU films. Um, Brandon has a few complaints about the C- CGI. Worst CGI in Marvel history. 
I th- and and you're talking about someone who put Shang Chi in their top ten. I think I think that the the pacing, while largely great, there's a bit between the second and third act where it kind of stalls. But outside of that, uh, similar to Guardians, I think its main plot, its family-driven plot, makes all of its otherworldly action all the more investable. In, all the more investable. Yeah, I think I'm investable. In- Fuck it, investable. Investable. You guys, you guys, you guys, get, you guys get what I'm trying I, to we say. We get what you mean. It makes it the action scenes carry all the more weight because you're genuinely invested in the family dynamics of the film. That said, I'm with Derek in terms of in terms of hand to hand combat. Not only is it the best the MCU has had, but outside of Brandon. Winter Soldier, it's probably the only I, I, it's ever. I, had. I agree. It's the, it's the best this side of Daredevil and Winter Soldier. Yeah. So. I will say this: a great when when you're doing the draft against the post credit podcast, a good offense is an even better defense because we love when you guys have to defend against a movie you really can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It All right. So well, no harder. solid pick what? again. This was probably going to be our fifth pick if it got down to it. But again, you guys and are taking I, some big I, swings. I would, I yeah, would just uh, like to add okay. you know what again. to expect. So to be now. fair, hold on, hold on, guys. Hold on. Brandon, go ahead. Just just to add here too, again, I, I really like the film overall. Outside of the third act, which is the weirdest climax in the history of MCU, and I mean that in a good way. Fucking bonkers crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It oh, is a really formulaic movie that nails the formula. I'm not docking at points for being formulaic because I think there's nothing unexpected up until that third act, and it does that very well. But if we're also using inventiveness as a main criteria, I don't know if I would have taken it with my second pick, I believe. Yeah, right. second yep. pick. So again, really like Shang-Chi, but just try, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here with some with some pricks in your argument. Pinpoints. Let's just be clear. Skylar did not want to. He gave me the second pick because we had already listed ours, and I wanted to throw Shang-Chi in number two. So hopefully he agrees with that. But yeah, um, I'm, I I will say that I think the fandom is going to be pleasantly surprised by how much they yeah. love they love this film. I think with Second Eternals day. and No Way Home and Doc Strange coming up, it kind of got slept on. Now I think Shang Chi is kicking off a phase of the MCU. Forget about Phase Four. I'm talking like a mini phase right here. And I brought this up on our No Way Home pod. They're about to go from Shang Chi, which the four of us know is great into Eternals, into No Way Home, into Doctor Strange 2, into Thor 4, into Black Panther 2. Vastly. That is a five-film, five-six-film run there that could ultimately prove to be as strong of a run as they've ever done. And that only happens because of how great Shang-Chi is. So, with our number two pick in the draft, since you guys have made this easy for us, even though... From what I've learned against drafting against the Diz Insider, things are not always as they seem. Never quite as easy as we think in the moment. So while I'm thinking we're cruising, that may not be the case. With our number two pick in the draft, we are taking Avengers Infinity War. Fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. But this (laughs) does put a smile on my face. I knew yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. yeah we I, That's a good pick. I think outside, I think that Guardians and in 
Infinity War are a cut above the rest. I think that these two are head and shoulders the best films in the MCU. What Infinity War did, and I would argue that the hype for it, while it didn't gross as much, I would argue that the hype for Infinity War was greater than the hype for Endgame because Endgame was massive, but Infinity War kind of did it first. You know what I mean? Like Infinity War really, like it was originally Infinity War part one and part two. They eventually changed that, but Infinity War was, you know, the, the beginning of the end. And for them to redefine the genre by taking 10 years to build up to this film and then to do it so goddamn well, like y'all said, this film never skips a beat. There's not a single down moment. It mixes thrilling set pieces. I think the battle against uh, Thanos on Titan is one of the best in the MCU bar none. I think that the way that it like integrates heroes that haven't met yet, but still figures out a way to fine tune the chemistry between them is unbelievable. I mean, you've got Dr. Strange, Peter Quill, Spidey, zinging and zanging back and forth, and they just fucking met. So screenplay-wise, it's super well-crafted. Action-wise, it's on a scale that we've never seen. Thanos, arguably the MCU's best villain. I mean, it's not really a long list, but I would definitely say he's up there. The ending to go the Empire Strikes Back route where it was a depressing, defeated ending was a bold move. When I interviewed the Russos last summer, I I asked him, I was like, that was, I mean, what the fuck? And they were like, we grew up on Empire Strikes Back and we wanted to give that to people. And I would say they succeeded. I mean, when Thanos sits down and takes a deep breath and they cut to black, you stumble out of that theater. Like, what the the fuck just happened to me? You know, you have no idea what you just went through. So I would say as a complete package, both a complete package as a film in a vacuum, and then a complete package of what it was wrapping up and what it was launching. It is an unprecedented achievement commercially, critically, and, and then in terms of pleasing the fandom. Yeah, th- this pick was between Infinity War and Endgame for us. And ultimately, we agreed that Infinity War is the better film. If we're looking at it on a one-by-one base- basis, it's more emotionally resonant. It's juggling endless plot lines. And frankly, it's reintroducing the MCU's big bad in Thanos. And I think that Thanos receives the most screen time of a character is a move we hadn't yet seen in Marvel. And it works wonders in establishing character and conflict for this film, something which I'm sure we'll get to later in this pod that we think was not as not as potent in Endgame. So ultimately, we went with Infinity War here. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to argue really quick. Uh, uh, Infinity War, it's it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but our next, we're gonna just go straight into our next pick, and uh, we're going in game. Thanos did exactly what he said he was gonna do. He wiped out 50% of all living creatures. We lost, all of us. We lost friends, we lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. Even though like, yeah, the hype level for Infinity War was huge, but it left you on such a big Had you had the choice, which route would you have gone? With with our number... No, had you had the pick of both these films, both Infinity War and... Mm, and me, personally, I would have picked Endgame. 
uh-huh. just had a lot more emotional attachment to that one. Skyler, I I would have picked. I probably would have picked Infinity War. Okay, I think that's a good pick. Curious. All right, um, go ahead. Uh, so the reason we're picking in game is we do think the hype level was bigger on on in game. Like Infinity, you're not wrong. The hype was crazy for Infinity War, but it left you on such a big cliffhanger that you had to wait a year to find out what's going on. Who who's dusted that we didn't see dusted? Who's who's going to appear? Who's going to save the world? How are they going to save the world? It was able to flesh out multiple different storylines on multiple different planets that we had already seen before. They did a really good job taking us back to universes we've seen and really tying it in. The time travel, which ties into future things in the MCU was very apparent and makes you more appreciative, uh, appreciative of Endgame. Um, the portal scene is one of the greatest scenes in the that. MCU. It really is. Not only is it the classic score, but it's seeing Chadwick Boseman walk out for the final time in as a live action black. It's Panther. the on your left thing that really like it, 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 solidified. There's it there's a me. lot of Iconic. emotion. I mean, instantly. Yeah. yeah. It tears you up. I don't think I've had in quite some time. Maybe oh, since dude, I, I bawled when fucking Cap wheeled Mjolnir. Yeah, it's. I was oh, like, yeah. there, what there's the some re- fuck? It there's. It was the first time in a long time, maybe the first time in an MCU movie where a theater experience was a good time with Best just time good, I've ever had at good the people. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone was invested, whether it was slow, fast, it, the music was great, the action was great, the special effects were great, and uh, I think it's it, it's a it's the best Avenger it's the best Avengers movie out there. It, wow. it really is. It puts Solid. it together. Avengers assemble. That would have been our pick had you guys drafted better. <laughs> yeah, yeah well too bad all right for our third pick brandon i'm gonna let you take it away pal go Wait, for whatever your heart whatever you guys are very predictable wants, i think i know where you're going i right. i don't in this case then with our third pick we are going with black panther and oh okay i did, okay. Not, expect no, I did not expect that so we are going with black panther because it is marvel's most political and most sophisticated movie reminding hollywood you can make a film about racial differences, society divides, regardless of the, the the brand or the scale with which you do it. It doesn't matter if it's an established IP or an art house indie. You can get these, convey these messages to audiences if you have a good storyteller, which Ryan Coogler is. You know, our antagonist, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, he literally meets his inner child in a touching display of empathetic commentary on disenfranchised peoples and colonialism. Uh, unlike other Marvel characters, our leads suffer actual consequences for once. There's no bending over backwards to ameliorate all the bad things, which Marvel loves to do. Uh, the competence of storytelling is is unrivaled. Like I said, Coogler is a maestro. He makes even the mundane and perfunctory beats earn their emotional payoff in the end. And I think there's never been a Marvel movie with such a range of perspectives and motives all efficiently represented here. Uh, I think they gave Coogler carte blanche and he outperformed any reasonable expectation of optimism. It is such a sophisticated, heady, intelligent film that is deserving of being the best, uh, the first ever superhero movie nominated for first picture because it has something to actually say rather than just a nice in-universe reference, a nice little quippy joke and a decent third act punch em up climax. And just to tack on to what B said, I will note that it is the first and only MCU film to ever receive a nomination for Best Picture. Also, I think that makes it the first comic book film to do so as well. And then therefore, when you look at it in terms of impact on genre as a whole, it's tough to beat there. 
Correct. I, th- I really quick. I I do think there are some arguments to be made on the the Oscars thing. Um, probably not some that I'm well equipped to argue. Um, what that is that that people got caught up in more so the moment than the I, film. I think yeah. I think so, and I I, I don't agree. I'm someone I would who disagree. says that. I'm a person who who says that. But Brandon has slowly but surely made me come around to his. Point I, I, I Derek's doing the same for me, to be honest. I think Derek's on the same page as Brandon here, but and. and uh, Sorry, Brandon. I like Shang Chi a lot. This is in or Black Panther. This is the worst visual effects in a movie, and you, and it's Hands very down. apparent in the third act for sure. Yeah, whether it's I the rhinos or the cartoony looking characters. I don't know what, the what if animation. Dude, for these the rhinos. Was I've, the fight ne- between, I've never noticed. I must be it was, oblivious. It was uh, that doesn't fight, say it was a lot. Fight, it was the final fight between Black <laughs> Panther and Killmonger, and I was flabbergasted yeah. about how plastic. And I, we can't get into spoilers for Shang-Chi, but I, I'm sorry. Even from the moment that bus takes off, this movie goes downhill on the CGI. Oh, get, it. Brandon, get out of I here. I do not <laughs> agree at all. I do not I agree. I think absolutely. I don't know what you guys are watching. I'm not bus. saying Black Panther has. Gr- yeah. In, in, in the post-cred podcast fans can hear the lies in his voice. But <laughs> my memory uh, yeah, stinks. Listen, I don't know Black what Panther bus you're talking start- about. In, in Shang-Chi, <laughs> the bus scene, I, I think. Let's see. The one that's been we've talked about. Okay, neither here nor there. Long story. <laughs> oh, short, yes. oh, oh, oh! The fight scene. Oh, the fight yes. scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the it's good in the trailer. There. We could talk about it yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah the good yeah, fight yeah. scene. Okay. It, awful CGI. But listen, I'm not saying Black Panther has the best CGI ever. I just think it's less egregious than Shang Chi. Fair enough. Yeah, All right, see, we're gonna have to I, agree to disagree. I think you're on your fourth pick now, correct? Yeah. Yes. Where should, where should we go? I'll let you um, take it. I took the last one. So we are going to do. The first Avengers. Wow. Jesus. I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. It is the ultimate team-up movie. This is something that since Iron Man 1, as soon as that post credit scene hit, we're assembling the Avengers with the Avengers initiative. This is the one thing that you needed to see on screen was all these characters being introduced in their own movies, all coming together with a villain that we've already met like Loki, who is probably one of the best villains that I think is he has this like this fluctuating character development that I think is just fucking brilliant. And you really get to see that in Thor and and also in in the Avengers. Can you believe next year it'll be ten years? <laughs> crazy. Oh, it's so crazy. crazy. I uh just quick, I, I I I just don't think phase one as a whole outside of Iron Man one is aged well. I think that Avengers is too bright, too colorful, too corny, too jokey. If I could just bounce I'm, off Derek really yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Scott. I, I let Derek take the pick. I did not expect him to make that pick at all. Um, so now I will say that phase one and especially Avengers means so much more to the overarching MCU as we know it. Um, taking elements from other films as we see it. It's the first Marvel team up film. You know, it's the first film in the MCU that, you know, Disney acquired. And they're like, okay, we're going to team up all these these characters in these standalone movies that, yes, were, were some were good, some also, were bad. you get to see the Tesseract in its full potential. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that too. Teased in two movies. You know, you, you, get, yeah. you get your first tease at Thanos. You get Loki as a, a, a an overarching villain, which he's meant to be. Um, some and of the, who was the best in the MCU up until that point? I... I 
villain Fair, wise. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the the Battle of New York. People still go back to and watch it. The the, the circling shot of the Avengers. Just it. There's just so much there. I. I, I just think that the first Avengers really kind of set the tone and the pace of what we see today as uh, oh, our MCU. For sure. In terms yeah. of the MCU's journey, it's absolutely critical. And yeah. if we're going to talk about impact on genre, to, not to argue on behalf of you guys, that is the biggest impact on genre. Not Black Panther, which, I, which you know I love, but oh, every sure. Hollywood spent the next almost decade chasing exactly what they just invented unsuccessfully for the yeah. most part yep. that is the 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 justice league the thor's hammer oh, God. of exclamation points facts uh, yes. facts. uh yes. but you guys have uh, we've gotten every movie we, we've wanted so far and that is set to continue with our fourth pick as we we're taking we've only missed one we have oh, guardians, guardians. But that was it yeah with our fourth pick we are taking thor ragnarok um, oh yeah. my god Well, Thor one's beautiful. Thor Ragnarok. It resuscitated the Thor character. His first two films. I, I still haven't finished the dark world. I kid oh, you shit. not. I mean, it is. This was a character that nobody gave a fuck about. Not only did it rehabilitate him in Ragnarok to make it probably, Brandon says that Guardians is the funniest MCU film. I think this might be it. I think Taika's mix of zany humor, but also dry humor pasted over the MCU just fit like a glove. Whereas I found Avengers 1 to be too colorful in a simplistic way. I think that the neon tone of this entire film is just something fun that we hadn't seen and really embraces the weirdness of a character that's the god of thunder. Also a really good music soundtrack, by the way. Yeah. Yes, it, it spurred. Thor is now set to become the first MCU character to get his own fourth film. Also argue that because of the path that this film sets, sets him on, Thor does most of the dramatic lifting in the Infinity Saga endgame arc. The Thor character after this film goes from being one of the ones that you care least about and just kind of takes up space and is there to be handsome and strong to one of the more, A, funny, and B, emotionally complex. Like when he says in Endgame, I've lived a thousand years and killed twice that, it's like, dude, that sounds fucking miserable. You know what I mean? Like I kind of <laughs> yeah. yeah, feel totally. bad for this guy. He's lost his yeah. father, his mother, his brother. So I, I, I just think that not only is this a great film, but what it did for the Thor character and then therefore the MCU as a whole was such a necessary course correction. Because if you don't care about Thor's Ragnarok arc, then his whole Infinity War endgame depression bit just doesn't work. And that bit to me is the strongest dramatic element of those films. So yes, it's a great film, but I think that this is deserving of a top five pick because what it did to a character who is ultimately one of the MCU's most important. Yeah. And I'm just going to quickly add Taika Waititi understands the Thor films. They shouldn't be self-serious Shakespearean drama. They should be 
Jack Kirby acid trips crossed with Saturday Night Live, you know? And it's still, <laughs> and despite that, yeah, it still leaves room to comment on colonialism. And, and in Ragnarok, nowhere is Thor's dynamic with Loki better. Nowhere else does he grow as much as a character than here and carrying through the Infinity Saga. Nowhere is the grander universe better on display. Nowhere does Hulk get an actual arc that carries over into the Infinity Saga. And then my last point, which is simply indisputable, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, damn it. You got me on Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, my drop. I do like that it's uh, Asgard is not where it's at. It's where its people are. And I do like, like yeah. you said, colonialism. It's, it's, you know, the fact that you have this whole ancient civilization, species, gods moving into a cliffside. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but Skylar, uh, throw some punches. Yeah, it's uh, it's ba okay. So remember how I said the collector is the worst part of Guardians of the oh, Galaxy. No. This Thor Ragnarok is the collector of the movie. It's oh, wow. it's so wow, cheesy and work. corny. It like the Grandmaster was Jeff Goldblum, and that's cool. Just but don't be don't be called the Grandmaster. That's not that's not the Grandmaster. You should have just called him Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that's Jeff he Goldblum. Acted just like Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I mean, the jokes were very n nowhere near Guardians of the Galaxy level jokes, and I don't find them like very funny. I just it's like oh, like it's almost like poop humor. I'm just like, so are okay, you not well, in on? Taika's style in general as well or this movie is nothing like hunt for the wilder people or jojo rabbit at all like doesn't even come close well i will like, say this his style his stylized... tone of its humor is similar like, it's because I, they had the no I, I, I think i i think it's because they had no choice they saw how poorly it was going with the first two films and had to just rip the band-aid off entirely this is your last pick i believe right yeah yeah so it's going to should I just should I just do it? I took two. I don't care what you pick. We're Go going Loki. Ah, okay. Yeah, we are going Loki. It it really solidifies a great Disney Plus uh, Marvel series. It, it was really a you go into Loki thinking like, okay, what are we expecting from Loki? We don't know what we're expecting from Loki. How are you going to do a series on a character that's dead and then in, in game see him kind of just disappear? Like, like you don't know how this is going to go. And there's so many layers to this. There's, there's dr very much some drama. There's some heartfelt aspects, a lot of, a lot of good grounded comedy in there. That Romantic sci-fi baby. It emulates a lot of what you said for Guardians of the Galaxy. It's comedy that doesn't hit you in the face with its comedy. It it really brought Owen Wilson into this universe and made him loved as a person again. Like he does a lot of comedy and like Owen Wilson in the MCU, it's just like, how do you do that? Like the score is good. It opens up the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the multiverse. It slowly introduces in one episode, 15 minutes towards the end, a overarching villain that we're still questioning with Kang, who is a very scary-esque Willy Wonka. I think everyone agrees with that. You have a a bunch of great, Richard E. Grant was fantastic in it. Sylvie's great, Loki's great. There's just so many layers to this. And that's what I like is it's the most, it's, it's the most MCU Disney Plus show the MCU has given us, I think. And I just think there's just so much that really not only in terms of quality as a great almost Westworld style show, but it opens it up for the future. And it's just not people want more. People are asking for a second season. Like you're not really seeing that with anything in the past. And I think to stand on its own with the movies is a huge thing. And I think Loki is just a fantastic two MCU movies style show. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of him real quick. 
I am, I, I have like the major like OCD when it comes to continuity and with Loki and its variants, it literally eased my mind with Edward Norton to Mark Ruffalo, right. To Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm down for it. I like that. Look at their variants. Yeah. So I have yeah. no well, rebuttal to Loki in the fifth slot. I think it's a perfect pick. Yeah, we were thinking about that one as well. I will say that while its highs are high, I do think it bottom. I, I do think the bottoms of Loki bottom out a little bit lower than some of the films on this list. I think what was it, episode three, Brandon, where you and I were just like, man, what a waste of fucking time. And when there's only six of them, I'd argue you can't really afford to afford in terms of being a top five MCU project, afford to slip up in the way that it did it in moments. Also, as we talked about, boys, in the Loki season one finale podcast that we did, I thought that the romance was, as much as I'm into a good sci-fi romance, I thought it was very hit and miss. So when they expressed their love physically, it worked. I think when Marvel tried to screenplay it out, it was very clunky, which is something to keep an eye on going forward as the franchise tries to mature i hope they figure out how to mature the way in which characters express their feelings as well because the dynamic between the two of them certainly rubbed me as like a middle school teenager awkward vibe which i wasn't crazy about other than that though loki's easily the best mcu show so far um there's a reason that they're doing season two and there's a reason that that's the one that they unveiled their next big villain in so brandon do you want to take our fifth and final for us pal all right for the fifth and last we are going with the one that started it all, Iron Man. I know. Oh, if we're ta- I didn't yeah. think so. If we're talking about impact, there is no MCU without Iron Man. If we're talking about tone and, and overall quality, Marvel is not this comedic, live wire uh, action comedy franchise without Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau. In a vacuum, it's an amazing origin story that's a little bit rock and roll because it was released under Paramount, not Disney. So we have, you know, the stripper pole in the <laughs> private jet. Yeah, we yeah, have, yeah, we yeah. have a little bit more fun that is not just, hey, PG-13 sanitized. I think it has a little bit more of an edge than Marvel's had since, since they got acquired, which gives it a few more quality points. I also think it, it came out in the same year as The Dark Knight, 2008, and it showed you the two opposite ends of the spectrum of superhero quality. You could do something that was inherently comic booky, but also a complete and utter remix of the source material and blend them both perfectly. That is something that I think actually MCU has a little bit struggled with since. It is not quite the blend of new and familiar that is as seamless. So I, I think Iron Man is the proto origin story of contemporary superhero landscape. And I think that's really, really hard to ever achieve again. And as we said, spawned everything we're talking about today, which is a beautiful thing. And Robert Downey Jr. Baby, it saved his career. Come back. Yeah. Oh, for yeah, sure. Did. So that'll it's do it. And Brandon, I think, think it's hard to argue. Yeah. Brandon, I think we finally that. may have our first dub. Uh, I, th- with- I think you're crazy. We have, we have thought that before <laughs> and been That's true. All right, by, boys, the, let's, by the army of Diz Insider fans. Let's uh, run through our picks and then put a bow on this show. For our number one pick, we took Guardians of the Galaxy. For number two, we took Avengers Infinity War. Number three, we took Black Panther. Number four, we took Thor Ragnarok. And number five, we took Iron Man. Nice. We took the Winter Soldier with our number one pick. We took Shang-Chi with our number two pick. 
Go see this movie. It's awesome. Get your tickets now. Uh, in game with the number three pick, we took Avengers with our number four pick, and we took the most recent Disney Plus series, Loki, with our number five pick. And, and listen, I will say the other two drafts we've had with Design Insider, they've beaten us because of recency bias. So I'm going to, I'm not going to get <laughs> cocky here. I'm going to be like, I, I like my roster better, our roster better, but. They seem to tap into something that we don't understand. Well, it's always so eccentric. There's always a couple picks that just come out of left field, but we'll put up the poll. Hopefully, we'll get a dub for once. If not, we'll be 0-3 at this point. Which we'll is we'll give you a... When uh, when it comes time for the uh, the Pixar, the Disney animation draft, uh, call us. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll give you... Pixar, Pixar you smoked us in already. Yeah, yeah I remember? Yeah. Pixar, we we did. We're, oh, that was the Pixar Wally first. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. you know. Okay, so Disney animation and Disney live action. Give us a call. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that the crowd won't be skewed there at all. Um, <laughs> oh, that's fun. All right, fellas. On that note, thank you for joining us. As always, you could find the boys over at the Diz Insider at Skyler Schuler, right, and at Derek Cornell. That's yes. it. Simple, easy. Boys, always a pleasure. Talk to we you. Love later. you guys. guys. Appreciate it. All right, fellas. Peace. Later. What's All right. Pro Bible? Yes, sir. So uh, it started like 10 years ago, back when like bro and dude had a much stronger <laughs> hold on the online world. And uh, while we... before bro had such a negative connotation to it yes yes <laughs> but i would argue like things like this have uh helped keep our name up to date in the last few years I, I like to think of our site that just sort of everything a guy might care about primarily your films so folks today we have an awesome guest as i am joined by destin daniel cretton director of films such as short term 12 just Mercy, and of course, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm actually speaking to you about an hour after the review embargo dropped. Your film is currently sitting at a 94%. I know they're not the end-all, be-all, but I just want to say congrats. I think that's a fair score. This was legitimately one of my favorite MCU films to date, so thank you for that. Oh, that's um, nice. Thank you. Yeah, for real, man. Around like that five to seven range, I've I've got it at currently. Um, <laughs> so, I found Shang to be a very relatable character, certainly in the context of MCU heroes. I found him to be a very audience avatar-like person. With that in mind, what Marvel characters are you most looking forward to seeing him interact with? And in the way that Ant-Man once took on Falcon, are there any Marvel heroes that you would like to see him go toe-to-toe with? I mean, maybe this is the obvious statement because there are, there are some, it happens in the comics, but Spider-Man would be very cool. Um, uh, as a, I mean, I, I'm sure, I, I, I imagine if they went head-to-head, it'd probably just be a sparring contest of sorts or a training exercise. Um, but I mean, there, we, we have a lot of things on the table and that are very exciting for the future of Shang-Chi. Um, there's, when, when I, th- I think Shang-Chi in order to have a fair fight with some people would, would have to take the rings off. Um, uh, but with rings on and rings off would be a, you know, very different opponents <laughs> depending if they're, if they're able to use their, their superpowers or not. 
Well, that's why I asked. I thought that this film and Shang-Chi's fighting style is something that the MCU has needed for a long time. Hand-to-hand combat is sort of my favorite action genre, I guess. Uh, I want to talk to you about the process of the of choosing the side villains. Given the dynamic between Shang and his father, the Mandarin was always going to be the primary antagonist. But how did you go about filling out the rest of the roster, i.e., Razor Fist and Death Dealer, and were there any villains that you wanted to use but didn't? There, I mean, Razor Fist and Death Dealer were kind of the the more obvious ones from the comics that um, that were were a part of of the Shang Chi world. Um, obviously, a character like De- like Razor Fist needed to be updated quite a bit from what we saw in the comics. And there was, you know, there were certain logistical, I mean, I couldn't physically figure out because he has two razors in the comics and I just couldn't figure out how to have him do anything but fight because we didn't know how to, how he open a door or like. thumbs, right, exactly. Um, so, so we, uh, it, it was fun to update those characters and ha- have them be a part of the, of the universe. Um, but there were, were there other, there, there weren't really other, there were, those were kind of the main ones from the start. There weren't really any others that, that came to the table, to be honest, in this movie. Gotcha. So this is something that came up with both WandaVision and Loki, and I want to give you a chance to get ahead of it. Given the inclusion of Wong and the very mystical, magical elements of the film, I have a feeling people are going to be asking, where the hell is Doctor Strange and why is he not doing his job? So is there any response that you have to that question, sir? I will respond by saying you are not alone in asking that question. (laughs) And there is a very clear answer to that question. Um, But yeah, the... the, uh, all of all of those types of where people are in the universe at this particular moment, um, where there are clear reasons why Doctor Strange is not there. Like I wish Doctor Strange, we could have put Doctor <laughs> Strange in, in in our movie, um, but there's a there are very clear reasons why um, the characters who showed up could show up very briefly. There's also a very clear reason why. They're not physically in the room, um, but uh, all all of that is a uh, is a big conversation with Kevin and the other right. producers and directors who are working on other things. Well, I just find the strange thing so funny because the last time we really saw him, he was like, "My job is to protect your reality, douchebag." And reality has been absolute chaos since. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, One of the main reasons I love this film is the family-driven A-plot. I find that the more that you're emotionally invested in the film, the more weight all of its scenes carry, whether that's action, each punch matters more, or just a simple dinner chat. Talk to me about crafting a family drama in the center of what's an objectively massive and wild film. And that was definitely a big challenge was, I mean, for for me as a, coming from the more indie drama world, stepping into this movie, I I was kind of, you know, my instinct is to overcompensate and just put all the effort into trying to make this bigger and more badass. And, and what was, uh, what was constantly being re- reminded to me by, by Jonathan and Kevin at the studio was, 
that the emotion is equally as important as the big action sequences, that the spectacle only works if people are connected and engaged with the emotional ride of the characters. Um, and I personally find Shang-Chi's journey um, and his relationship with his family and his struggles and his insecurities and his, the, the things that he's battling, I find it all very relatable to me. And, um, and I think it, it really helps me to root for him more when he's kicking people's asses or, or being trained to be an assassin or stepping into his superhero shoes. Absolutely. And, you know, without getting too deep into it, I think that that's why I love this third act so much, because it's unlike anything in the MCU you, you've ever seen, except you're still locked in on and focused on that family drama, which which is a credit to both the writing and direction. Uh, speaking of family drama, I found the Mandarin to be one of the most sympathetic villains in the MCU yet. Was the MCU's quote unquote track record with villains something that you were conscious of when you made that made this film? And what characteristics of a villain do you find most appealing? I'm always attracted to villains um, who I can relate to, even if they're like totally psychotic killers. Like if I can relate to the emotional undertone of them um, and, the, and relate to the reason why they are doing the crazy things they do, um, I, I fall in love with them. And I, I think that's, that was something that we knew we had to do and with this with this particular villain um we we had to humanize him in a way that that just shattered the stereotype that was kind of weighing him down for, for years in the comics so um our revamp of this character was our, our number one our number one goal was to make him relatable and having an actor like tony leong play it play him was you know that's like a dream 90 percent of the battle right <laughs> yeah. all right Destin, I, i've got to wrap up thank you so much for your time real quick are there any specific martial art homages that fans should keep their eye out for there's a lot i think people are picking up on some of them already and they're um they're it's so cool to see people finding them um we 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 planted, I mean, we had a, a stunt team who has a deep, deep, passionate understanding of the genre and, and, um, and loved finding little ways to give homage to some of their favorite choreographers of the past, some of their favorite directors and movies, some, some of their movies that they were actually a part of and in, because a lot of them came from a Jackie Chan stunt team. So um, there are there are wonderful Easter eggs in this movie, not only taken from the MCU, but also from the the rich history of martial arts films of the past. And I think I, I'm very thankful that people are looking for them. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time, sir. Everyone go check out Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings when it hits theaters on September 3rd. It is fantastic. Cheers. Thank you. I love your shirt, by the way. Oh, this is because I wanted to wear a shirt and I really thought this as colorful and as fun as your film. Oh, that's nice. I love that shirt. I'd wear that. All right. Cheers, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.
All right, great job, Eric. You crushed that interview. I, I loved hearing Destin explain some of the kind of more granular details, the, the really nerdy stuff that you and I get jazzed about. He was so a that super was really cool, cool dude. Super cool guy. You could just tell he, he just had a laid back vibe to him. Hope I get to speak to him again. Quality, quality filmmaker, man. Short term yeah. 12, Just Mercy, Shang-Chi. This dude knows what he's doing. Uh, he told me that they have exciting things planned for Shang-Chi, which leads me to believe if there's a Shang-Chi 2, he'll be at the helm. I can't wait for it. Definitely. I'm really excited. But all right, guys, that's going to do it for us today. We hope you enjoyed this supersized podcast. It was fun doing it. It's not going to be fun for Eric editing it, but it's going to be fun for you listening to it out there. All Until right, next y'all. week, everybody. Talk to you later. Make him an office guy. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs> <laughs>